It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 22nd of September. The new arena had a sneak peek. I'll share that with you. The five storylines that will dominate training camp with Media Day Monday and get to know Dante Exum. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Thanks very much for tuning into the program, and thank you uh, very much for the great questions yesterday on the Facebook Live show. Always do that on Thursdays and appreciate it. Have you been to the new site, LockedOnJazz.net? LockedOnJazz.net is the new site for all of your jazz News, information, the podcast, everything else of the sort. So check it out in coordination with FanRag Sports. Uh, hope you like it and uh, hope you enjoy it. We'll keep trying to build it up to be better and better for you as this season uh, goes on. Today's show, I mentioned what we're going to hit on the five storylines of the season as well as Dante Exum get to know. Monday is media day. Ron Boone and I will be live on utahjazz.com for you. So make sure you get that streaming program. Monday edition of Locked on Jazz. Uh, frankly, it just might not happen. Uh, I'm going this heading out this weekend for a golf tournament with my daughter. We're leaving uh, Pacific time zone at flight out at like 6.30 in the morning on Monday. By the time I get back, I have to change, get down to media day. I'm going to just call it unlikely that there is a Locked on Jazz on Monday. So hope you're... I uh, hope that's all right. We'll give you a lot of coverage, though. And then training camp starts, <clears throat> so it'll be awesome. The uh, Last night, the Miller family, who are just incredible. So the Millers put out $125 million to upgrade this brand-new arena, and then they throw a party to thank uh, their employees and all the people and subcontractors and everybody that worked on the event. Yeah, because that's how, that's how people work. Like, that, that, that's, that's yeah, because the Millers are incredible. I mean, that's really what that comes down to, because the Millers are simply just incredible. And uh, it was cool. Rachel Platten played. She's really good, and she was just delightful. Um, I called her the adult Taylor Swift, and uh, just talking about issues and problems and real stuff like that. Uh, and uh, as well is... Uh, her music's good. She's got some new hits coming out. I think they're going to be really good. So, anyway, it was great. The arena looked great. The coolest part, it's hard to isolate. I mean, it just feels so different. The seats being different and blue and comfort. The new walkway in, when you come in the front, the J-Note, which will be uh, shown on Tuesday, and then you come through and you can walk all the way straight through and look into 
the bottom down to the floor in this open area. And there were people all night that were just kind of standing up there looking through in kind of a social environment. It was really, that was the thing that jumped out to me. Super cool event. Really awesome of the Millers to put it on. Uh, the corners with light coming in. You'll see. It's great. I hope you can make it out. All right. Uh, this, uh, let me hit five storylines that I think will be the biggest stories of Jazz training camp. Not necessarily Jazz season, but Jazz training camp. Uh, one, I think, is health. There's a new training staff that the Jazz have built. There's new systems being put in. There's a new protocol to how they're doing everything. It's it, Frankly, it, other than the construction, the biggest change that has happened to the Utah Jazz this year is the training staff. That, that's, that's the biggest change of all uh, that, that really exists in, in, in any way. Uh, and I think it's the one the players, other than the, information, in, other than the new practice facility, which is supposed to be just through the roof, that the players will realize the most, too. Uh, and they have uh, – they believe they have the best there is. They went to Phoenix – who has been generally thought of as having the best systems, went and got the guy they wanted, and we'll see. So I think health, it doesn't mean guys aren't going to get hurt, but it's it's a maintenance level, it's a recovery level, it's a, uh, I, I think Derek favors movement specifically. He didn't move well last year because of the bone bruise. Can they get him moving better and feeling comfortable in. And again, heart, you know, Mike Elliott's really brilliant. And Eric Waters is really good. And both of them, like, I don't know a lot about him. I don't know anything about medical. And maybe it just happens to be they got, these guys got healthy, but that's the story. And so favors Burks and hood, the three players that just couldn't get healthy. It wasn't that the jazz did a, had a bad year in regards to having a bunch of injuries. It's that they couldn't get guys healthy and that um and that really is the struggle that they had and we'll see if they can rectify that so to me that's that's storyline number one is uh is seeing is seeing how that plays because uh can guys one stay healthy and two can they get healthy after the nicks and bumps and bruises uh, that are inevitably a part of the season. Uh, today's program is brought to you by my friends over at Murdoch Hyundai. Super appreciate Blake and the guys. I was watching television this morning. Sub Blake uh, in an ad. Uh, I'm driving uh, the Ionic, which is the hybrid. It's really cool. Now we have you know either version one or two of the Prius, and this thing just blows it out of the water. Uh, if you're looking at the Prius, I would tell you to at least take a look at this Ionic. Um, our gas mileage is through the roof. Uh, you get the 10-year, 100,000-mile Hyundai Assurance warranty. It's got pretty good horsepower, up to about 139, is what I've read. Um, and, you know, it's a depending on how much, what you're looking at, it's anywhere from like 29.5 to 22.5. It's pretty reasonably priced. It, it drives really, really well. That's... 
Um, that's what jumped out to me most is it's just a nice driving car that happens to be a hybrid that happens to get amazing gas mileage. I, I was talking to Blake, and he was like, yeah, I got in it, really didn't know what to expect. And sure enough, um, the the hybrid drives smooth and nicely. It's very impressive. Uh, I think I've told you about the Santa Fe before, which kind of really blew my mind um, on how nice that Santa Fe Sport is. Starting at about 24.9, I think is what it does, up to 240 horsepower. That one really kicks it. You can load it up and get some more features on it. I've driven the Tucson as well. All of the Hyundais that I've driven are, for the value you're getting, just kind of stunning. So make sure you check it out. 4646 South State Street. If you're in the market for a car and Hyundai's not a place you regularly would say, I'm going to go for it. Add Hyundai to the list, take a check, and then you'll experience the Murdochs as well at 4646 South Street. State Street. All right, number two storyline to me is Quinn. What adjustments are is Quinn going to make offensively to try to get this team to be able to score? That, that to me, I think is going to be a really interesting uh, part of this that I, you know, I don't know. I, I actually, usually I've talked to Quinn by now, and we have just not crossed paths. He's been busy and... Um, probably has better things to do to talk to me. But usually I, by this point, have some sort of idea uh, of what is going on. Uh, and the, and, you know, and what uh, goals he has. But how are the Jazz going to score? What is Quinn doing with the system to be able to, uh, Get points. Is it going to be screening and passing and movement? And then at the same time, if that's what it's going to be, how are we going to pick up tempo at all? And are we going to be able to pick up tempo if that's what we're doing? Or are we trying to sneak ways to sneak baskets out when you get good defensive plays that create turnovers? We were a low turnover team. Will Quinn change what we're doing defensively with Ingles, Cephalosha, Gobert, Exa Mitchell into a more aggressive on-ball defensive team? Uh, Last year, we were the third-best offensive team in the league. There's nothing wrong with what we were doing, but for our personnel, kind of the, the game was to sit back in a shell, take people off the three-point line, roll them into Rudy, and make them, you know, and make them defend – take shots that they are low percentage shots. We did a very good job playing money ball defense, and we became the third-best defense in the league. Now, we were the third-best defense in the league – Last year, while being very low in forcing turnovers, we were 21st in the league in forcing turnovers, fourth best defensive rebounding team, and great against the shot. Is it worth maybe losing some of those other aspects to create more turnovers because they create more offense? These are the things that I'm really curious to see in what Quinn does uh, in in those regards. Those are the kind of the debates that I think this team's going to have. And it's going to be curious to see where Quinn decides. So my storyline number two is Quinn Snyder and what he's doing. My storyline number three probably plays into this. It's Ricky Rubio. And what does a true point guard? We have not had one in a long time. There are not many in this league, uh, frankly. Uh, you know, Rubio averaging double-digit assists for the second half of the season last year. The only other guys that are kind of doing things like that are, uh, are Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And I'm not sure they're... They're in that same kind of class. John Wall probably is, and then Rubio it's at nine, and you you slide down pretty quickly. Draymond Green, frankly, you know, comes out about fifth or sixth in the league in assists, and T.J. McConnell at six assists a game rolls into the top ten with Alfred Keaton. So having a guy who can average ten assists a game is 
what does that do to the Jazz? And particularly, you know, Rubio is the only guy who averaged more than not, uh, well, you know, actually he's the only guy other than TJ McConnell who averaged, uh, you know, 11 points while averaging, I think, over five assists. Most anybody else has the ball in their hands the whole time, completely looking to score, and then if it doesn't happen, they dish it out. And uh, Draymond might be the exception, and same thing with TJ McConnell. So they're just a very, you know, Kemba gets five and a half assists a game at 23 points. And so he's, you know, Dragic, is, Dragic gets 20 points a game, but six, five, five and a half assists with 20. Like, they're not looking first to pass. They're looking first to score. Rubio's looking first to pass. What's that impact? I have, I have very little understanding of that. Um, and what is it? What is that going to do uh, to the Jazz? And can Rubio impact the Jazz' pace of play? Um, that's that's the one that's you know going to be curious for me. Is can Ricky Rubio find a way to impact the Jazz' pace of play? They and, and is that realistic? Um, but if you look at Rubio's teams that he's played on so far in his career, when he's kind of played. You know, he played 41 games his rookie year. He comes back from the ACL. So if you go to kind of 13-14, and, and Rubio's got to avoid these catastrophic injuries, right? Like he he keeps having these tough things where um, he misses huge chunks of, of games. But if you look at the 13-14 season with Flips, with Rick Adelman as the head coach, they their pace of play was fourth in the NBA. In the 12-13 season when Rubio came back from the ACL and played 57 games. Their pace of play was 11th. His rookie year, which is hard to tell because he only plays, he's playing so well and then uh, tears his ACL, you know, halfway through the year. Um, their pace of play was fourth in the league. So they, this was a pretty good pace of play. Then the coaching, you know, if you watch Rubio's career, so 13-14, they're fourth in the league in pace and play. In 14-15, now as Flip Saunders as a head coach, they are 11th in the league in pace of play, 25th in the league offensively. They were terrible. He didn't play as much that year. I think he got injured. 15-16 now, he has Sam Mitchell as a head coach, uh, which is now a totally different system. So I guess the other question on Rubio here is what does he actually get to coach? They were 20th in the league in pace of play. And then last year, 16-17, with now his third head coach in three seasons. Uh, they were 25th in the league in pace of play, 10th offensively. So it, it, Rubio has not had a consistency that he dictates pace of play. It's more of what his coach does. And this will be his fourth head coach in four years. Crazy. So I think that's a huge storyline. Storyline number four to me is the versatility. I am I am lost on how... Different guys are going to be used. What the different lineups are going to be. And I don't know that we see it in the preseason. I don't know when. This one might be a season thing. I don't know when we get this answer. Is Jarebko a 3, 4, 5? Is Joe Johnson a 3 or a 4? Is Alec, does it matter? Does Alec Burks play? Does Alec Burks play with a small lineup? How do Dante and Donovan work? Do they play together separate? Does Joe Ingles have to complement them to calm things down and keep them under control? Very, very interesting aspects of things on the versatility of the Jazz. And the final one, which is also our get-to-know today, is Dante Exum. And I think the expectations have to stay um, realistic here 
But this was his first basketball offseason. All the research I did off of ACL work showed that it was all-star break. No matter when you had the injury, it was post-all-star break that you suddenly came back to being a player. Post-all-star break, Dante shot 41% from the floor, 34% from three. 75% 75% from the free throw line average, six points, two rebounds, two assists, was a better player. Was a better player. That March stretch was probably the best of his career, 44% from the field, 37% from three. True shooting percentage over the league average. Went to the line 27 times in 15 games. He was just a totally different player. Can the March Dante Exum play? That, to me... Um, is what will be most interesting uh, with Dante. So those are my five storylines. Now let's do our get-to-know with Dante Exum. Some interesting conversation here, plus some fun childhood things and then the grit uh, angle that we've been taking with all of our uh, of all of our players. If you want to advertise on Locked on Jazz, you can email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. You'd reach a male audience between the ages of 18 and 54. Uh, and about 80% of it inside some other specific demographics, 97% male. Podcast listeners are 60-plus percent more likely to interact with sponsors than other forms of media, so we'd love to help you out if we can. We do all of our advertising based on listen numbers, so we think it's fair. Uh, Feel free to email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. Here is Dante Exum. Time to get to know Dante Exum. If you took me back to your hometown, where would you take me and what would you show me? Oh, um, my hometown, where would I take you? I don't know. I think definitely, I mean, obviously my home, uh, probably. And then, uh, probably my school, my first school, which was just around the corner where I'd walk, um, every day. Um, and then probably to my first, um, rep basketball stadium where I used to get up at 8am, um, with my dad as the coach and, uh, you know, you know, where it's where it started. You, I believe there's two of you in the family, you and your twin sister, or there any, and a brother, that's right. So what was what was the kind of the competition amongst the kids like, and what was that all like? Yeah, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a lot of competition. I, I, I think my sister didn't really step into it until we were older, but, I mean, me and my brother always butted heads, and I remember just being in the backyard, and, um, you know, we had a, a little basketball hoop, and my brother would, um, you know, we'd play one-on-one, and my brother would beat me, and I would always run in crying to my mom and dad, and, uh, you know, saying that, you know, he beat me, he was rough. Um, but, you know, uh, now I got, I started to have a bit more competition with my sister. Um, you know, I think it was the first competition I had with my sister was, you know, who would represent Australia first. And, you know, I was glad it was me. Um, but, you know, she got it, I think, a year later, so... And she's a great track athlete, right? Yeah, she actually did it for gymnastics at first. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait! I need this story about her. No. So, what did she do? She re- she's represented the country in two different sports. Yeah, she hasn't represented the country in uh, track and field yet. Um, but yeah, so she was like at the they have like a top twenty type thing for all Australian gymnasts, and she you know she was a part of that. Wow. Yeah. Um, how much older is your brother than you? Uh, two years. So he could beat you up. And when was the first time you ever beat him? Could could beat me up. Yeah, when was the first time you ever beat him? Uh, first time I beat him. Oh, I think um, we we're both kind of young because uh, you know I kind of caught him on height. Uh, so we're about the same height now. Um, but you know the best story is when I first beat my dad. Uh, I haven't played him one on one since. 
because you know I'm trying to keep that. But you know, the, the, if you ever ask him, he always say, you know, um, you know, he can have that one because the 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 record is for him is one to a million. So, um, but I'll take that one. You're only as good as your last game. Nice. If you took me to your childhood room, what was in your childhood? What your what your childhood room look like? Oh, my childhood room. I shared a room with my brother. Uh, actually, um, you know, we had the the bunk the bunk bed situation going on. I was on the the bottom bunk, um, but you know, we had you know we video game um, we play a lot of video games. So you know, we had video game posters, and um, you know, it was he was messy. I'll say that. <laughs> what was your first nickname? Uh, actually, when I came here, it was my first nickname. Um, it was X. No one no one thought to think of that <laughs> before I came to the Jazz. No, I think it, it, what happened was that when we first when I first got here, uh, Dante Jones was here, and every time someone would say Dante and was referring to Dante Jones, I would look just because I've never been around guys called Dante, and so I told him I had like you got to pick, we got to change one of their names, and he had DJ, but they were like I'm a rookie, so we'll change you, and you know X kind of stuck a little bit. Now your play-by-play announcer says X marks the spot every time he hits a three, so um, why number eleven? I wanted number seven, um, and then some guy by the name of Pete Maravich, <laughs> not a good player at all. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> yeah, uh, he had the, the obviously the retired number. So, um, and then I think eleven was just something I got randomly at one point, and you know, kind of stuck. I usually like to play with thirteen, um, and I, my original number was thirty. Um, but I was feeling 11. You know, it was just draft night, and, you know, I just thought about it for a second. I felt 11. Uh, as you've learned, the NBA life is more downtime than anyone has any understanding of, just or just empty hours. What do you do to fill all the downtime? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm huge into, you know, uh, video games, you know, TV shows and, and movies. So, you know, anything that I can kind of get to, um, you know, unwind and, you know, take my mind off, you know, whatever's happening in my life, um, just to kind of, you know, I guess enter a different reality for, you know, a little bit just to, um, you know, to, to chill out. What's your favorite road restaurant? My favorite road restaurant? Oh, probably, I don't know, man, room service? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think, you know. You have to go out for dinner with Joe Ingalls. I understand why you take room service. Yeah, exactly. You know, you get on the road. I think, yeah, just sometimes when you're on the road and it's, you know, towards the end of the trip, you just, you know, room service seems like the best option. What is, do you know the phrase guilty pleasure? Yes. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, I've actually just, like, I've started to give up chocolate, but that's probably, like, my, if I was going to have it. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Because no. I could not do that. Yeah, I know it's hard. Actually, I've given up soda, so soda's like no soda. But if I was going to have it, that's my guilty pleasure. All right. Well, sugar is the devil. So, yeah. um, all right, let's. These two books, Angela Duckworth wrote Grit, and Daniel Coyle wrote The Talent Code, and they're both different ways, kind of about elite athletes or the the process of getting there. What what made you believe you could make it in throughout the process? Wow. Um, I think, you know, I, going through it, you just, I, I, you know, I always loved basketball and played it and, you know, it wasn't always just about, you know, getting to the NBA and, and all that. And I think it was, you know, when I started, I was 15, I went to the Australian Institute of Sport and, you know, we were practicing 
uh, you know, two or three times a day and lifting. And, you know, I think that was when I, you know, started to take it serious. And I was going against the best guys, um, even older, older than me, um, every day. So I think that was kind of that, you know, that time where I said to myself, okay, you know, you know, I was doing well against them. So, you know, this is a, you know, something I can do and something I can strive for if I, you know, keep working hard. You have this incredible burst. When did you first realize that, oh, wait a sec, this is different. Nobody else has this. Actually, I, I realized it from a, a young age. Um, just, you know, just the ability to to get past the, the first defender. Um, you know, I, I always prided myself when, um, and, you know, said to myself, and I've kind of gone away from it a bit and, you know, trying to, you know, get it back. But um, when I used to play, it was just about, okay, you know, I wasn't even watching my defender. It was like, okay, you know, what's the weak side doing? Because I know I can beat this guy. Like, you know, um, so, you know, just trying to get back to that. You look back on your journey as a kid, and maybe it's just the whole element institute, but where where do you kind of think you were different than the other kids or where you gave up a bunch of stuff compared to the other kids? What, what do you look back at where your path was really different? Um, you know, I, I don't think my path was really different. You know, I think, you know, I was, you know, a normal kid. I always went I went through my, my phases, and, um, you know, I wanted to play Australian rules football. I wanted to skateboard. I wanted to do golf, like, I went through stages where I wanted to do, like, you know, everything in the book, you know, a different sport, and, you know, my, it always came back, and, you know, my dad would always say to me, um, you know, what do you want to do, and it was like, it was always basketball, so, I think I just made that decision, you know, when I was, when I was young, that this is, you know, basketball is what I wanted to do, and nothing really could compare to it. It's only so appropriate we have construction going on. Um... Are you going to hit at the golf simulator in the new practice facility? Oh, yeah. You know, I, you know, I kind of lost it a bit, but, yeah, I'd definitely, you know, try and get it back a bit. In the book Talent Code, they talk about deliberate practice or moments of being kind of pushed beyond your comfort level. One thing they talked about was the Brazilian soccer players who all played inside of – they don't actually play on fields. They play in these alleyways with this little ball, and all the best players are actually out of this – area which don't have a field mm-hmm. um when you think of your kind of deliberate practice or where you really pushed yourself beyond um you know regular practice what are some of those moments in your career when you think about uh, um no i think i think uh you know for most of it i was you know i was always on a court always playing you know it wasn't anything too wild um but you know, I definitely agree with, you know, getting outside your comfort zone. Um, you know, it only helps you for when you have to get into it. And I think, you know, even looking back, you know, we played on, me and my brother played one-on-one on a small court with, uh, you know, um, you know, a normal ring. So it was like, you know, you didn't have a lot of room to, you know, get by your guy. It was, you know, you had to, you know, beat him quick. It was like a fake this way and go by him. So I think, you know, as much as you can, like, you know, change it up or, you know, make the game harder, you know, once, you know, you're playing, it just opens up everything. What's the most difficult realm of improvement? Um, in, in possible, like just, yeah. I mean, you've worked out, I mean, how many jump shots have you taken? I, th- I think the jump shot is definitely one of the hardest things. Cause you know, it's, you know, it's based off percentage of how good of a shooter you are. And I think, you know, if you're a 50% shooter, you know, that, might not fall your way every time or you might be taking bad shots and you know to get those game simulated shots within a practice you know um it's tough um you know i think 
you know, for me, it was always, okay, let's, you know, if I need to develop a pull-up jumper, it's like, okay, let's go 25 pull-up jumpers. And, you know, for me, that didn't help me at all. You know, I think getting the rhythm down at first it did, but I think, you know, it was about playing, you know, reading the situation where I could get it. Because, you know, in a, in a, just a one on zero situation you don't have defenders you don't have to read that big coming up or you know if you got if you're going at Rudy you know he's going to block you if you're too slow you know pulling up so I think and you know that's what I've been doing while we're playing pickup just being able to have the ability to read the situation you know you have a guy coming um from behind trying to block you um you know I think that's the the, the best way when you hear the word perseverance what comes to your mind I think just, you know, just the ability to, you know, get through anything, um, you know, no, no matter what, you know, in anything, um, you know, I, there's, there's going to be tough times and, you know, you say it's a long NBA season, you're going to have some tough games and just being able to, you know, kind of get through that and, and know, you know, you put in the work to, um, you know, be able to, you know, knock down that corner three, um, you know, if it's not working one game, then, you know, then you know in your mind it's going to, you know, work the next. And, you know, it's just being able to, you know, keep, you know, pushing forward and thinking forward. On your perseverance, the ACL or not as much time as you wanted after coming back from the ACL, what took more perseverance? The whole the whole lot of it. I mean, the ACL was definitely tough, but I think, you know, getting back and then, you know, being right there and, um, you know, not fully there. You know, I think that's definitely one of the toughest things. But um, just, you know, it was so many nights where it was like, okay, you know, I didn't get on the floor. Okay, it was bike. Then, okay, shots after the game um, at the practice facility. Or, you know, the next morning I was in there at 8 a.m., you know, even before we had practice or it might have been a day off. Um, you know, it was just doing everything, you know, you can. So, um, you know, it wasn't even about coach seeing that you're working. It was just, you know, once that number gets called, you can go in and he has to play you type thing. So, What makes you, on that 10th day in a row, come back into the gym? Well, if you had a bad game, <laughs> you're going to be back in the gym. Um, I think it's just that, you know, that drive to be great, to, to be better. Um, you know, I always said whenever I had a good game, someone said I had a good game, it's always, okay, I did, but... You know, I could have, I could have hit that shot. I could have hit this. Um, so I think it's just always about, um, you know, just you know, thinking how you can get better. Um, yeah. That was the last question I was going to ask you: Do you remember the good or the bad at the end of a game? Hundred percent the bad. Um, I think for yeah, for everyone, you remember the bad, um, and it's something I definitely need to get out of. But even when, you know, even our coaches, you know, they kind of do it a bit too. When we're watching film, we're always watching. You know, mostly we have some good clips, but, you know, we're mostly watching bad clips. But, you know, you can look at them as bad clips or or clips on how to improve and be better. Um, so I, that's, like, the mindset I try and take. And, um, you know, it's always, you know, I was watching film today with Lamar just before pickup. Just, and it was, you know, it was good stuff. And it was reinforcing, you know, what I can do to be better. So, All right, we're going to get you so that you have a restaurant other than room service by the end of the year. I don't even know. I couldn't remember the restaurants. <laughs> there was actually a good one. The great place. And we went on to talk a few more restaurants, but that is Dante Exum growing up before our eyes. Fun to have that conversation. Hope you're enjoying the themed uh, grit and talent code angle on these interviews. I think it's revealing some aspects of them we might not have heard otherwise. This has been Locked on Jazz, brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street. The grand reopening's all going on uh, right now. So check them out. Uh, Find out the great deals on this 
Elantra and the Sonatas and uh, be surprised by what they have to offer. We'll be back with you likely on Tuesday, or Ron and I will be live with you at utahjazz.com for media day starting at 2.30 on Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day. I'll talk to you then. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.